Genesis chapter 43. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down, because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? he asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know? he would say, Bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy along with me, and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us, and overpower us, and seize us as slaves, and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight, in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house and gave them water to wash their feet 
and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon, because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant our father is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's own son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and, controlling himself, said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When the portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Hello. Welcome to Sunday at six. We're in for a treat this evening, so let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. Please speak to us. Help me, help all of us to learn from you this evening. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you can open your Bibles again at Genesis 43, I've called this talk Grace Overcomes Envy. I don't know if you can distinguish envy from covetousness. There's an, a philosopher called Cornelius Plantinger Jr. And he makes a great distinction. He says this. He says, envier is a nastier sin than mere covetousness. What an envier wants is not first of all what another has. What an envier wants is for another not to have it. It's a, it's a form of hatred. Envy resents not just someone else having a blessing. He resents the person who's been blessed. It's a very ugly sin. Now, my first point is just that. Envy is a deep sin. It's a deep problem. Envy drove uh, Joseph's brother to hatred. You remember when he went to visit them, they captured him. They couldn't care less about his coloured coat. Oh, they ripped that and they smattered it with blood. No, they resented him. And then they put him in that cistern and just wanted to kill him. But do you remember, it was Judah who said, what will we gain 
if we kill our brother, there's a little bit of sanity there. Envy is so destructive. It's what's been called an inenviable vice. It's no fun at all. Billy Graham had this to say. I defy you to show me an envious man who is happy. I think it's true. Envy takes away our peace. It eats at us. Now, stories of envy litter through the Bible. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Saul and David? Unfortunately, it even occurs in churches today. One senior churchman was attending a, a conference and he remarked that at this convention, most conversations in the hotel were marked by envy of those doing well and scarcely concealed delight at those who are doing badly. See, envy does destroy people. It pulls us down. Now, Shakespeare recognises in, uh, in his play Othello, uh, Iago remarks about uh, Cassio, he hath a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. He's envious of Iago. It's essential that this teaching, because the tendencies in all of us, is firmly talked about and firmly put to death. Joseph, in our story, realises this. And most of the chapters about he tests his brothers. Are they still the same? Have they changed? This is why Benjamin, who's the the only other son of Rachel, uh, Joseph was the older uh, brother and uh, Benjamin was the younger one. Uh, they were both highly favoured by Jacob. But this is why he's so central to the story. If conditions are right, how would the brothers react now to Benjamin when he's in their hands? Doubtless this is why. Uh, Jacob didn't want to release him to them. So, that's the first point. Envy is a deep problem. Now, the next one. Envy is tested. Now, Joseph knew that the famine was going to last for seven years and that uh, his family would have to return to Egypt to get some food. That's why he puts in the demand about seeing Benjamin. Look at back at 42, 33 and 34. See, on their first visit, uh, afterwards, Joseph had kept Simeon back as a hostage, saying, look, if you come back, you must bring Benjamin. <laughs> he does this as a test. He says, so that I know that you're not spies, but honest men. <laughs> That's hardly true, is it? Well, they return back to Jacob and uh, and he says, no, 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 you can't have my son. He, he's not going with you. Uh, and so it's a stalemate until the famine sets in and they are worried about dying. They're worried for their lives. And it's then that Jacob himself takes up the initiative uh, 
of the forbidden subject about going down to Egypt and says, look, you, you've got to go and get some food. But this time it was Judah who reminds uh, his father that they've got to take Benjamin. So from now on, we see that Judah takes command. It, possibly it's his personality, but there are other possibilities. Do you remember the number one son, Reuben? Uh, he was disgraced because of his incest. Number two and three sons, Simeon and Levi, well, they committed genocide. They killed off the whole tribe of the Shechemites uh, and were disgraced. And anyway, Simeon was still in prison uh, down in Egypt. So whatever the reason, Judah steps up and he takes control. Uh, he himself had rather a, a questionable past, as the Bible makes clear. Now look at 8 to 10. Judah pledges himself to be responsible for Benjamin's welfare. I do think Jacob was worried. He'd lost Joseph. But the famine decides the matters. Uh, and Jacob organises the trip. He even organises the gifts. It's a bit ironic that the, the gift that he arranges to give uh, to the leader of Egypt are the same products as the Ishmaelites uh, in the caravan were taking into Egypt when they bought young Joseph as a slave from his brothers. Anyway, Jacob insisted that when they return, uh, they also take with them the money that had been found uh, in their bags when they'd left Egypt. Look at verse 14. It's very important, this. Jacob then offers a heartfelt prayer for his family. Listen. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. This opening of the phrase, uh, and may God Almighty. It isn't a, an empty, perfunctory sort of phrase. Mercy is central to this story. Look at verse 29. When Joseph sees Benjamin, he says, God be gracious to you. It's the same word in Hebrew. God be merciful to you. So God's mercy is at the beginning in uh, Jacob's prayer for his family in verse 14, and at the end, here in Joseph's uh, prayer for Benjamin. Now, in Jacob's blessing, uh, in verse 14, he invokes the one true God, El Shaddai, God Almighty. God was first introduced with this name uh, in Genesis 17.1. And it's repeatedly used thereafter. God is God Almighty. He's not a tame God. He's a God who has all power. He keeps his promises. And when he blesses, he really blesses. It 
reveals this name, God's character, his power. It's certainly not an empty phrase, you know, may God Almighty have grant you mercy. No, 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 may God Almighty grant you his mercy. Well, Jacob closes. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. You see, he's understood something now. He, the, the great schemer in life, is now resigned to following God's will. Well, the brothers travel down to Egypt and look at 15. They uh, present themselves, well, in Joseph's court, I presume. They, they met uh, his representatives. But the story seems to say that Joseph was there looking on and he sees Benjamin, his brother. Well, the brothers are summoned to go to Joseph's house by the steward. Now, can you just imagine the fear that was there? Why have they been singled out of all these people? Was it because the money uh, had been found in their bags when they returned last time? So that they hadn't paid? Would they be accused of stealing? Does this great man have an evil intention for us? Huh, the ruler's home would undoubtedly have a, a private dungeon. And look at verse 18. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and, then, and take our donkeys. They're terrified. However, they have no choice. They approach Joseph's house and they speak to the steward. Verse 20. We, we don't know who put that money in those bags. It, it wasn't us. You can just feel the tension. Well, Jacob's prayer was spot on. His family did need God's mercy. So there we are. Envy is the problem. Point one. Point two, envy is being tested. Well, now we come to the third point. Grace overcomes envy. You see, they expected the worst, but their fears were overcome by grace. Look at 23. Peace to you. Wow, he was speaking Hebrew. Shalom Larkin. In Australian, I suppose he'd say, um, no worries, mate. <laughs> Try and put them at ease. Then goes on. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. Now the steward seems to know much more than he lets on. Uh, how does he know about the the God of Jacob. Surely Joseph had told him. It was Joseph who told him and his team to put the money back in the sacks after their first visit. Look back, 42.15. God was sovereign. He used human intermediaries. Look at 23, 43.23. Your God did it. Jacob's prayer for mercy was now being answered. Simeon, 
been a hostage for two years, is now brought out. Can you just imagine the joy, oh, the emotional tension when they see him there? It must have been marvellous. Now, 24-25, they're treated not as prisoners, but as privileged guests. At noon, Joseph, the viceroy of the whole country, enters. There they are, kneeling down before him, perhaps prostrate before him as they give those gifts. Joseph must have hidden his shock when he recalled that dream that he'd had as a teenager of his brothers bowing down before him. But Joseph's greeting is beautiful. It's, it's also based on the word shalom, peace. Shalom comes three times in 27 and 28. How are you? Literally, are you shalom? Uh, regards his father. Is he still shalom at peace? Our father is still alive and shalom, well and at peace. See, peace is everywhere in this story. It's a mark of God's grace to us. When we lose peace, it almost certainly means that we have moved away from God. Well, verse 29. There he is. He sees Benjamin. His heart must have been pounding. There he is, his full brother. They must have played together as youngsters. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? <laughs> as if he didn't know. He comes to Benjamin. God be gracious to you, my son. I guess that's Hebrew too. The same word is later used in Aaron's great blessing, the blessing of God to his own people. We read it in number 6, 24, 25. Listen. The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. There are actually the only two word, times that that uh, word for gracious uh, in Hebrew occurs in the Bible. Joseph's statement and Aaron's blessing. Yeah. Look at verse 30. Uh, in the NIV it says, deeply moved. But in Hebrew, the word is the same as verse 14. It's mercy. Literally, again, as a translation, Joseph's mercies were heated up for his brothers. Oh, it gets so emotional now. It's too much for Joseph. Tears are welling up in his eyes, tears of joy, and he has to uh, rush out to get himself composed. When he returns, they start the meal. They can't start without the Viceroy. Uh, the groups are seated in three areas. There's the Viceroy at the top. There's the Egyptians, who'd never deign to eat with foreigners. And then the visitors on the other side. But it's quite ironic. He hosts his, a meal for his brothers. And if you look back in the story, when they sold him as a slave, 
They left him in the system, but they went and had a meal just on their own. Such mercy. He didn't repay evil as he'd been treated. Grace, mercy everywhere. <laughs> What's interesting, he seats them in order of age. And they note this. I expect they wondered, how does he know? They looked at the name tabs on their, their places. How does he know our ages? All in the right order. Don't forget, meals have a very exalted meaning in the Bible. They don't just mean satisfying hunger. No, it's, it's all relational. They demonstrated the acceptance of someone as a guest, accepting someone into your life. Joseph welcomed his brothers back into his existence. And later he welcomed his father and the rest of his family. They all joined him. What grace. <laughs> Jesus, he loved having meals with people. Highly significant meals. Meals with Matthew. Meals with the Pharisees. And this is why today hospitality is such an important feature of being a Christian. We must spend time with people. Eat with people. Make them feel at home. They become part of us. So, this grand feast continues. Look at 34. Joseph symbolically shares his special food with his brothers. After all, they didn't know it yet, but he, he was their brother. But Benjamin, he's given five times the amount. Now, can you just imagine all the other brothers looking down at the side and saying, Whoa. were they envious? I suspect this could have been another test. Will those brothers be envious of Benjamin? No. No, not this time. The feast continues and there's great joy and they are frankly all having a party. The relief. Simeon is there. They're all there. Except they don't recognise Joseph yet. Does this remind us of uh, Revelation 3.20? That great verse that calls all of us to return to a close walk with the Lord Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and, he with, and they with me. Isn't that lovely? It's that communion that God wants with his people. Such love, such joy. Isn't this the relationship that God wants with each of us? Envy gone. Filled with peace, with joy. Oh, we must be wary of the destructive power of envy. Let me finish with a story that D.L. Moody tells. It's a parable of two eagles. One eagle was very impressive and the other rather weak. The weaker was envious of the other. 
and seeing a sportsman with a bow and arrow, he asked him to shoot down the impressive eagle. The huntsman said, I'm willing to try, but I'll need a feather to make a flight for my arrow. So the, the weedy eagle plucks one of his wing feathers and gives it as a prime feather to the sportsman who makes an arrow. But the impressive eagle was flying too high, it's too strong, and the arrow fell short. Please try again, said the weedy eagle. I I'll need another feather, said the huntsman. So he plucked another feather out. And so on, you can imagine, the story continued. But by the end, the weedy eagle was helpless. The envy had destroyed him. It was now easy game for the huntsman to kill him off instead. You see, Satan wants to destroy us. And envy is one of the weapons he loves to use. But we have the spirit of the Lord Jesus, who's certainly far from envious, full of love, to build up God's people. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this simple story. Lord, help us to learn its lesson. Help us to kill off envy and to develop love. Help us to grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ. In his name we ask it. Amen.